Hey, everybody. Stephen Godfrey from Podcast Ain't Played Nobody. Myself, my podcast co-host, Bill Connolly. Last year, we raised a bunch of money for some flood victims in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. After that area, saw some devastating, devastating damage. Of course, you guys have seen the news. You know what's going on in Houston right now. We are going to come back in 2017 and do the same thing. We're going to do it bigger. We're going to be joined by other SB Nation and Vox Media podcasts, and we are going to raise money for Houston. Until then, contact the Red Cross if you want to donate. Stay tuned. We love you, Houston. Week one. We're here. We made it. We sound better. Well, we'll see. Possibly. We got new microphones. We decided to break them out for week one. We don't know how to use them. This is Podcast Ain't Played Nobody. My name is Stephen Godfrey. That's Bill Connolly. We'll do the official intro in a second. It sounds weird because it sounds good. Maybe. Maybe. Are you, are you, are you coping <laughs> with this? Are you adjusting? I don't know. I don't know if I like this. Yeah, I mean, this is all up to them. It sounds the same through my headphones. They're mostly the same, so we'll just have to find out. Uh, how distortion-y, uh, how much people miss the distortion, I should say, because, you know, this is different. This is part of our brand, and, and now we might actually, there's like a, a 20% chance we sound professional now. This is Podcast Name Play Nobody. It's a college football marriage of numbers and words. That is the robot Bill Connolly. He's the inventor and proprietor of the S&P Plus analytics system. He's written a bunch of books. You can find them. You can buy them. Uh, you can You can process money for his knowledge. Um, my name is Stephen Godfrey. I'm just a reporter. I'm just a simple man standing in front of a college football fan base, asking them, don't hate me as much as you have in the last week. <laughs> Hell State. Uh, we got a lot to get to. We got a lot to get to. Oh. So we have questions. We have games to break down. We have stories that we've written this week to talk about. Um, so a little bit of house cleaning first, Bill. Let's. We're going to table... Because in the spirit of week one and the actual football part of playing football, I'm going to table the Ole Miss stuff until we are at the COI, which is September 11th in Covington, Kentucky. We've got some additional reporting coming. I obviously dropped like a six gajillion word story that took me two years to put together. Um, I want to talk about all that in context. It's going to take too long. Um, There's a lot of stuff going on with that, a lot of moving pieces so I don't want to tease anybody who tuned in to talk to, about the specifics of NCAA bylaws, but there's football, and I'm going to die inside if I don't start, both in the content that I create and consume and the people I talk to about that, if I don't start understanding again why I do this. Yeah. What I mean by that is like the good parts of college football. So, Bill, right now, off the top of your head, with no prior notice, what's the thing I should be? I should feel the, the – actually, what's the thing that will make me feel best come – Tuesday morning after the Labor Day weekend of week one is over. Ooh. Um, so the thing that will make you feel best, A, will probably be, in real time, it'll probably uh, be Twitter, as strangely as the, as strange as that might sound. I mean, the, I'm going to disagree with that answer, but I'm going to let you walk it out. Well, in this sp- very specific context, uh, Twitter is good. Uh, many, many, many other contexts, Twitter is not good. But when it comes to everybody watching the first game of the season at the same time or the mm-hmm. first big game like Alabama-Florida State, it's fun as hell in that context. And so um, – you know that's where the old the the sports bar uh, reference, the sports bar metaphor, actually kind of works in a positive way. Yeah, and um, I mean I think that's just part of it. It's just really fun to to kind of just watch the the weekend unfold and drink from the fire hose like everybody else. I think I've said that that phrase too much over the last week. I think I've beaten it into the ground a little bit. But regardless, 
I'm fine with the fire hose coming back on because uh, we need it in the worst way. I don't know if it's because all of our games are condensed into basically, I think it's like 15 weeks total. You know, most everything happens at the same time. You're running, right. scrambling, and then we're in this 10-month abyss. And maybe that's why we tend to foster and and just let these weird, you know, entirely negative narratives emerge. Or maybe that's just the content of the sport that we cover, and it, and we're we're merely stewards to to the narrative that develops. I don't care. There's football on this week. What do you think about Rice and Stanford? <laughs> um, I saw what I needed to out of both Stanford and Colorado State. Those are two teams that I was higher on than my numbers. Uh, at least a, a hair. Actually, I, I, now that I think about it, I was really close with, with S&P. But I, um, to vary things up a little bit on radio over the last week, I, I've been making Stanford my fourth playoff pick instead of USC. Wow. And um, basically because the more I thought about it, the more I realized why in the world would they miss Christian McCaffrey? They've got love. They've got a just a murderous offensive line. Um, and then, you know, love showed me exactly what I needed to see on Saturday night in terms of just taking the blocking he receives, um, making a one move five yards downfield and just breaking every single, uh, run for 40 yards. Um, granted rice was to put it kindly overmatched, but, um, Stanford looked like they were supposed to look against a rice. So, um, I was very impressed with that. I was happy to see that because I mean, again, I feel like I'm pretty high on Stanford this year. And then uh, to to see to segue into Colorado State here, since I mentioned them too, best game uh, of the week by far. Yeah, and I mean that was it was the biggest game of the week I thought in terms of consequences and or at least maybe in terms of answers. Uh, I got the answers I needed to about Colorado State's offense. Um, it seemed on paper as I was writing that preview like holy crap they're going to be one of the best offenses in the country. I do not after putting fifty eight on Oregon State. I certainly don't feel any less strongly about that. Still worried about uh, Colorado State's defense if they do. If they don't, I mean, I, I have them them versus Boise State neck and neck for basically for the Mountain West title, especially the Mountain the the Mountain West Mountain at least. Um, and so, like, I, I saw what I needed to see in them to remain confident in them, but uh, that defense will need to continue to get short up. They they lost a guy they were counting on pretty close to when the season started um, at, at linebacker, and and so they got a little shuffling to do there. They got a couple answers, but I thought they looked really good overall. I mean, you can. We can nitpick, but you win by 31 over a Pac-12 opponent. You were probably doing pretty well. The uh, shaking off the rust award would go to myself and several others who who questioned South Florida's offense for like a quarter and change. Um, I linked back to my embed that I did with Taggart and those guys on Thanksgiving, talking about wow, this really wasn't the offense that I saw. Yeah, just just give it a minute. They were on the road. It's a new coaching staff. It took them about what twenty ish minutes, and then it was on. It was fine. Yeah, basically the start of the second quarter, it was uh, they were fine, um, and that's yeah, they yeah, are that very was, much kinda... there, very much a top twenty five team. Um, I still need to see their defense play against somebody better, but um, they they did what they needed to there. That was obviously Hater. they gave up whatever it was twenty two points, and uh, so, you know there was a block. Their special teams nightmares left and right. So they're really the defense absolutely passed San Jose State's test, but now we need to see them take better tests. I still don't trust their defense. It's weird. I'll take more out of South Florida playing San Jose than I'll ever take Stanford playing Rice, and that's about all that you could take from week zero or week point five, right. however you want to call it. Bill, we're gonna jump right in. I'm gonna try and mesh. Uh, for those of you who just jumped on, maybe at some point in this long off season, we don't really pick games. There's no really about it. But what we're going to do is try and give you guys uh, the best tasting menu possible and some su- suggestions on Saturday 
to slide under the radar, some quality value games that you may not necessarily be interested in right up front. We're going to try and sell you on some of those. The problem is this. It's very matter-of-fact on Thursday night. There's nothing really to sell you on, if you know what I'm saying. You got your ULM going to Memphis. You got your New Mexico State going to Arizona State. You got your Tulsa-Oklahoma State, which is probably the sneaky good palate cleansing game. I don't even think that's sneaky. It's Tulsa-Oklahoma State. It's going to be four hours long. Yes, but on four, Bill, four networks, ESPN, ESPN, ESPN News, and ESPN Goal Line. That's obnoxious. It's something. You've got Ohio State and Indiana, which brings us to our first question. We, uh, By the way, all of you who jump in on these last-minute questions, we love you for it. It's not that we don't have content. It's just that we like to have you guys kind of steer the ship. Chris Schlimmen. I'm going to go with at the Schlimbear. I like that. Uh, I like that account. He also has the B1G logo behind him, so you can tell where this is going. Can Indiana upset OSU? Do you think that a non-conference champion gets in the playoff again after Owen, uh, after Owen 31? Yes, I am a bitter PSU fan. Um, okay, so let's do the first part first, Bill. I don't think they're necessarily going to upset them. I'm not picking one way or the other. But I just wrote a story about um, Tom Allen from an interview I did back in the spring when I swung through Bloomington. They are weirdly embracing their identity in Indiana. It's, it's going to be like a – I think it's going to be a fun game for a little while and to watch what that defense does. I know that you, yeah. I know that you personally have a blood feud with Mike DeBoard in which one of you may stab the other. But if you can, try and be objective about the Hoosiers. If there's sta- if there's stabbing involved, Michigan fans took care of that a long time ago. So I'm <laughs> it's 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 over in that regard. Yeah, no, I mean I where I'm coming in from in this game is a Indiana's defense is good enough to make Ohio State answer some questions. You know, we do we do still have a lot of concerns about Ohio State's passing game and we should find out a, a little bit about that there this isn't a game where they're just going to be able to run the ball and play defense and win and we don't learn much until week two Indiana's got a rock solid defense they came out of nowhere Tom Allen you know coordinated a hell of a, a defensive improvement last year and they returned most of the reasons for that improvement plus some guys who were hurt and so um in in that sense, that's going to be it's going to be a very interesting game simply because we'll have to they'll have to answer some questions. But um, yeah, the, as far as questions for Indiana, yeah, I, I, all you really know of a brand new head coach uh, when he comes aboard is which side of the ball was he good on and who does he hire on the other side of the ball. And obviously, you know, Michigan fans hated Mike DeBoard. Ten, Tennessee fans hated Mike DeBoard. Now, granted, to a certain degree, we always hate our offensive coordinator. But I kind of I backed this one up, and I was very confused. And we've talked about this before, obviously, but um, I was very confused about, in the end, who was making Tennessee embarrassingly conservative and tight at certain times, the play calling especially. Mm-hmm. You know, a couple of years ago, just destroyed them repeatedly about, you know, like the going up whatever it was, 17 nothing against Oklahoma, and then basically going into a shell uh, 12 minutes into the game. Uh, they did that a lot that uh, that year. They were they were scared to go and put, try to put the dagger in and, and win the game. Last year, they didn't seem quite like that. And then when their defense completely fell apart, they were like, well, I guess we have to score points now. And suddenly they had the best offense in the country. So if, if the conservatism was all Butch Jones, then DeBoard might have a lot of tricks left up his sleeve and he might be just the guy to come into Indiana where Tom Allen, in theory, won't be quite as uh, lemon booty, to use a Bomani term. <laughs> Um, and he, it might be a situation where that, that's a perfect hire, but, um, I, I, I did have my questions about DeBoard and, and the fact that that's who he went, he scooped up immediately. Um, 
that I, there's some benefit of the doubt issues there that I, I'm not quite ready to. Uh, but you still have to watch this game for two quarters. One because it's on, and we're still very much in the phase where we're needy, right? Like week zero didn't do it for anybody. And it, it could be a rock solid game for two or three. Quarters. I think it's going to yeah. be a great. I think it's going to be a great game for about two and a half. Here's what you're going to get. You're going to get unprecedented atmosphere from people in Indiana. So you're going to get that super like hot, hot energy that we normally associate when like cause South Carolina was always the. <laughs> like the stalwart right. Thursday night opening game. I think you're going to get that in spades because I guess game day is going to be up there in some capacity. You're going to have this multi ESPN coverage thing. Remember subplot with Kevin Wilson fired his head coach, uh, basically had a terrible relationship with IU and the boosters for a long, long time, even though he had one of the best offenses in the country. He is now the OC at Ohio state. That's going to be super interesting to watch that. Right. I mean, just the fact that, Allen said in a press conference this week that they've been watching film of themselves, which is pretty cool, right. pretty unique, right? So that's watchable. The energy's watchable. And also, I just think that, uh, you know, not, not, definitely not being an expert in the situation, but I, I, looking at numbers and, and checking these guys out in terms of uh, that, that almost completely unnoticed defensive turnaround last year, they're loose. They're fun. They're, they're kind of crazy. Like, I mean, I think it's going to be – I definitely think Ohio State is deeper and more talented, and they're going to win the game. But I think you may get those first three or four drives where, like, all of college football Twitter is probably sitting focusing on this. Oklahoma State, Tulsa, sorry. And then we're going to have some really, like, fun, weird moments with the IU defense. And then Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, to great scales, they have some legitimately exciting attacking defenders. Yeah. And um, – and and they and Allen walked in the door and immediately figured out how to use them. So uh, you've got scales. You've got um, let's see a, a linebacker who they were going to count on last year named T.J. Simmons. Uh, he's back after missing most of the year. That's the other part of this is there was a dramatic defensive turnaround. They were without T.J. Simmons. They were without two defensive backs uh, who could have or would have been in the rotation and Andre Brown Jr. and Jameel Cook Jr. So they return everybody in the secondary plus those guys. They return scales and Chris Covington at, at linebacker at plus Simmons. Um, they, they in theory have a deeper defense than they did last year. And so that's, that's exciting. I, I, again, like early in the year, we do try to make everything an immediate referendum, i.e. first quarter South yes. Florida, San Jose State. Yeah. I was very I was very happy that I was actually I, I was with the kid at that point. So I was playing catch up on that game. So I couldn't tweet. So I could just you know shame everybody else for jumping to conclusions. But um, but we do we, we go too far with that kind of stuff. But we still get to start to piece together clues, especially about certain teams that have lots and lots of strengths, but a couple of severe question marks that we need to learn more about. And Ohio State clearly is clearly in that boat. So, um, so uh, pretty cool opening game. I do wish they wouldn't be using all their damn channels on this. I, I realize it's kind of fun when they do that for the national title game. And I realize there are just a ton of other options. Uh, but I mean, are you saying, it, like, are you saying pull another game off Saturday, stick it on? Let's see. What's the either, either pull off another game off Saturday or just give like Elon Toledo a real TV slot yeah. or, you know, something Austin P Cincinnati. One of your, you have like eight or six or eight ESPN three games that day while, while one game is on all the ESPNs. And I just, it is really that weird that NC state, South Carolina is at two o'clock. It's a neutral site game, neutral site, like sponsored kickoff, that whole deal. And it's, it's good. I mean, nobody's going to watch that. It would have been the perfect game to put on ESPN. 
Very strange. Um, yeah. So moving on, but uh, Christopher, the second part of his question, we got a lot of big picture questions coming in. Um, do you think a non-conference yeah. champ gets in the in the playoff again after O dash thirty one? I think he's referring if to Clemson beating Ohio State there, since yeah. he's a bitter PSU fan. Yeah, it'll happen again. I don't know if it'll happen this year, but yeah. it's definitely gonna happen again. They make these. Right. They don't wor- They don't worry about precedent. They're they. Their well, they, they worry about precedent. They don't worry about the outcome. Yeah, I mean, their context is is five minutes in front of their face and five minutes before in terms of the committee. I definitely think you'll see a situation like that happen again. And the funny thing about this is, like last year, the, everybody says now the committee made the wrong choice at Ohio State. They got they got beat up. Well, Penn State lost two, so that I mean, it's they would have lost two to Clemson. Clemson was tremendous. So I I don't I. The after the fact stuff I try to avoid as a whole, but if the committee is using after the fact results as part of their criteria, then let's just dissolve this whole thing right now. Um, that the outcome of that game should have absolutely no impact on future pairings because every single year is so much more different than we want to than we ever want to actually uh, admit that. Let's it is. jump ahead to Sunday real fast, only because I've just been asked the toughest question of my career. All right, pause. I don't know what I'm going to say. I really don't. Christopher Brown at Christopher six two five asks with regards to W. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Hi. Uh, with regards to WVU, West Virginia, and VTech, Country Roads or Inter Sandman? Sandman. What's the preference? Ah, it's so hard. Sandman. I don't. I don't know if people know this about me because I'm from Georgia and I cheer for those those pro sports teams. I went to college in the SEC. I've lived in both of these states. I don't know, Bill. I'm at a loss. Like I've been inside of uh, Milan Pusker when the when the old country road starts, and it's pretty powerful. Okay. But then, I mean, a Thursday night game. I know this isn't a Thursday night game. I also, know it's not in Blacksburg or Morgantown, which is, I think, a crime that this is not a one and one at 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 both right. stadiums. I don't want to get into an off season gripe. All right, you said entertainment. I'll just say country roads just so we're diplomatically split. The, the bottom line is there is no wrong answer there. Now, as far as this game, this is one of those games. It got moved to Sunday. It's being played in a terrible, terrible, terrible stadium. In fact, I just saw a poll the other day. I don't know why I was looking at it. Of NFL stadiums and atmosphere and access. like you know, It was like a fan survey of everything from like parking to concessions, all that kind of junk. FedEx is dead last. It's the worst stadium in the NFL. It's pretty awful if you've ever been there. It's located in this super anonymous, like hard to get to part of Maryland. Yeah, nothing against the state, the state of Maryland, but even for an NFL stadium, this thing lacks atmosphere. You know, you go to you go to Arlington, and at least you get to see spectacle. This is just trash. So I don't know why they're doing it. I hate it because both of those stadiums, yeah. Lane Stadium and Milan Pusker, are just awesome when they're filled up and crazy. I mean, you have you have just a wonderful cross section of of Appalachia's finest. By the way, our own Alex Kirshner, he have a, he's a Pittsburghian, so I guess that makes him Appalachian. He'll be covering this game for SB Nation, so check that out on Sunday night slash Monday morning. Um, I like this game a lot. I don't think anybody's talking about this game. This is definitely the game that I offer up when you get sick of Alabama, Florida State. Yeah, yeah, I um. Well, I mean, speaking of, of of games that will answer a lot of questions, obviously we need to know a lot about Virginia Tech's quarterback situation because 
you know, if as we've discussed before, the ACC Coastal, like the top five teams all lost their quarterbacks. Whoever gets a, a, a leg up and the quickest in that regard, be it Virginia Tech or Miami or to a slightly lesser extent, at least, you know, North Carolina, Georgia Tech or yeah. um, Pitt. Uh, I think, you know, Virginia Tech and Miami are the are the top two on the list right out of the gates. But if one of them has a good quarterback situation, it kind of all gels in immediately and the other one doesn't, they probably win the Coastal. So um, we'll learn a good amount about Virginia Tech's uh, n- new, uh, you know, offense or signal caller, signal caller, whatever you want to call it, because, uh, well, West Virginia, for what they've lost on defense, and I think they lost more than people want, really realize, uh, they still have some uh, a couple nasty defense defenders in the back and a couple of good linebackers. Uh, the defensive line, I have absolutely no idea what they've got up front, but we'll learn something about Virginia Tech's quarterback. And then we'll learn this. Uh, I've gotten yelled at more by West Virginia fans than any other fan base this off season. And I, I really, I, all I can really say is that I think Will Greer, Greer could be really good. And I think that, um, you know, relying on a, on day, like putting David Sills, the receiver, last I heard, he was going to be a re- relatively feature piece of the rotation uh, in the receiving core. They lost shorts. They lost Shelton Gibson. They, um, they need a couple new uh, uh, receivers and Sills had a really nice spring. So basically, you if you if if Greer turns out to be real, and if Sills turns out to you know go from seventh grade quarterback uh, offered by Lane Kiffin to go to Big Twelve receiver, um, you know if those things click and they've got Justin Crawford still, uh, if they their brand new offensive line that would that got pretty roughed up by attrition as well, if that clicks as well, then sure they're great. Uh, their defense should be all right, but. There's so many ifs with that offense, and I, you know, that that I know West Virginia fans right now are just all assuming the right, the correct answer to all of those is going to be they're great. So, Virginia Tech's defense is going to be the real deal. If if West Virginia can move the ball consistently on Virginia Tech, then West Virginia is going to exceed their projections by a decent amount. How much of a game would this be if uh, Gerard Evans was playing in it? I think it would be. Probably oh yeah, Virginia Tech that, would be a top fifteen team to start. The I mean, season. it would be something we could have built around in the off season, and yep. and I'm not going to get it on off season soapbox. I'm not going to. I'm not going to talk about player compensation right now. It's just that the kid declared for whatever reason. Okay, and I get that. It's hard to question somebody's decisions when it, I mean so that, that is a personal decision related specifically to, you know, your your livelihood, and I get all that. But he's not playing in the NFL yep. right now. He, I think he had an injury settlement or something. Like he's out, and so it was. It was. In a binary way, the wrong decision without knowing any of the details of the man's life. But imagine if he plays in this game. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, they're going with a redshirt freshman and Josh Jackson instead. That's a little different different scenario right there. I think it just colors the, the way we talk about the program building part of Fuente taking over for Beamer in a completely different way. It sucks. Uh, I mean, you know, want the kid to make money, want the kid to do do well, but you know, kind of none of that's happening. So. Yeah. Um, I still think it's going to be a great game. I still think that I um, everything else in terms of year two for Fuente should look a little bit better, so that's exciting. Um, they're not quite going to be Virginia Tech of yore yet, but um, I don't know. I just like watching that football team for whatever reason. <laughs> and I also think that Fuente is very good on year two, year three jumps. Um, it's it's definitely an offensive system. I mean, he talked. I interviewed him at Memphis. He talks about, you know, you can only cram so much in in certain – certain periods of time and there was a lot that they were doing to overhaul it last last off season going into year one so it'll be very interesting um let's go to the 11 o'clock saturday games because it's going to be kind of a fast segment 
Um, Jeff Everson at EVR551 writes in, what non-marquee week one game are you most looking forward to? And why is it Wyoming, yeah. Iowa? Um, it's not. But, I, I mean, I love my pokes, but that's going to be not fun to watch. Uh, Big Ten, it's a Big Ten network game. Yeah. I guess you can talk, like, you can play the Josh Allen hype to a degree, but when it's when you do a conference network game, they almost always push back on really highlighting the non-conference team that comes in. Right. So I'll be interested to see how they play that. But here's your 11 a.m. lineup, Bill. And maybe you can come back and sell me on Wyoming, Iowa. Akron and Penn State, no. Uh, uh, super fun. To, I, actually, I take that back. Yes, but just the highlights. Literally right. just when they break <laughs> in and they're like, all right, they're up 28 nothing. They're up there. Yeah. Uh, Ball State, Illinois, Bowling Green, Michigan State, Kent State, Clemson. Uh, the game you'll be at, Missouri State at Missouri, Cal at North Carolina. Um, the game of this, the game of this segment on the high end is, is Maryland, Texas, I guess. But it, then I guess the the sleeper of the eleven o'clock hour is Wyoming, Iowa. But that's just not saying much about that early that early shift. Yeah, how do we have this many good games and and really none of the major ones are first thing? And I, I realize we have very few. <laughs> Uh, noon Eastern kickoffs that are are marquee games beyond Oklahoma Texas, but that yeah, I can tell is... you why. This is a problem that ABC and ESPN and those guys are gonna have to start, gonna have to solve. A, a, ABC and ESPN, the same thing. I'm sorry, but um, I, I meant to say ESPN and Fox. The Big Ten games fill up this slot. Yeah, any good Big Ten game in Week One is gonna is gonna move to marquee status, and most of the Big Ten heavyweights are engaged in those like non-conference deals that aren't going to be played at 11 a.m. Now I will say this. Do you remember the marquee game at 11 a.m. last year in week one? I was there. I am. No, no, it's gone. Houston and Oklahoma. Oh yeah. 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 That's right. So we are lacking, I think a punch here. Now I do think Fox wants to build around Maryland and Texas. You and I, this was the one game you and I started talking about before the show as we were trying to figure out my mic. You cannot watch this game and get all the information you need out of it yeah. because it's not really a football game. Help me explain this. Yeah, no, this is a game that uh, we're talking about answers to questions. Uh, this will answer a couple of questions about Texas, but, but it's kind of a highlights game, too. It's not, you know, we're basically just kind of trying to it's a measuring stick game as much as anything. And so, yeah, you don't necessarily have to watch it to get what you need to uh, get out of it. It might be fun. Maryland has a couple incredible running backs. Texas's offense, I'm really excited to see. I think it'll be better than people think. Um, so, I mean, it, it should be pointsy. It should be very Big 12 FS1. <laughs> but uh, it, it's still a game, not a game, like a must-watch kind of situation. By the way, how mm-hmm. cruel is it to have Cal kick off at 9 a.m. Cal time uh, on Saturday? I mean, I think Cal football is a series of cruel events. And I don't mean that because they lose a lot of games. I just mean that with all the extraneous stuff that's gone on. It's just mean. They had to. Look, man, when you agree to those cross-country deals, you, you this is what happens, especially with the ACC and the Big Ten. It's not uncommon. It sucks. I'm trying to think of the team that uh, – remember the Stanford excuse, right, two right. years ago? Body clock. Western, yeah. Um, but this is a full time zone for – no, never mind. Never mind. I'm, I was about to say something stupid. Never mind. What? Where were you going? No, it's okay. I, was, I was thinking it kicked off I later because it was going to be central. It was going to be really stupid. So uh, they kicked off at the same time. Body clocks, body clocks. Go ahead. Body clocks, body clocks. Okay. Um, oh, body clocks. Let's shift real fast. This is where it heats up. 
and and now now you really start to look back and think it would be nice to watch one of these games in the early slot. Okay, I'm not going to run down all of these, but so uh, NC State, South Carolina. Here's your big dog, Florida, Michigan, right? That's the one in Arlington. Um, Nevada Northwestern, Temple at Notre Dame. I've got a story coming out at the end of the week about Jeff Collins, the new uh, Temple head coach, going into Notre Dame. Notre Dame replacing basically everything but the head of Brian Kelly. He's now fully <laughs> cyborg. Krang, if you will, from Ninja Turtles, whatever you prefer. Uh, UTEP bloodletting in Oklahoma. Troy, Boise State. Put a pin in that because that's my other story this week. Uh, Mississippi State opens against Charleston Southern. Um Potential upset alert of the day is going to be Eastern Washington at Texas Tech. Kentucky at Southern Miss. Don't even want to really call that one an upset. Uh, and then Western Michigan at USC. That'll hold us until I get into the into the night slate around 5 p.m. Central. All right, so let's back it up. Everybody's going to watch Florida, Michigan. It's not going to be aesthetically pleasing. Yeah, it's You don't be have it's to watch really Florida, gross. Michigan. So for, all right, just for a second. Florida's got some, uh, excuse me, Florida has some suspended players. There is no real reason to think Michigan's offense is going to be on fire. Tell me why I'm watching this game. Um, it, it'll be a nice status check, especially for Michigan, because among other things, they do have Chris Evans, who could make Michigan's offense on fire. Um, he was really good as a freshman last year. He could be kind of a real deal. The first, the first really good Michigan running back in quite a while. Uh, and if he's doing well... Uh, then in theory, you know, Wilton Spate, he's got some fast receivers. They're super young receivers, so I, it's hard to say, you know, whether the receiving, how good the passing game is going to be. But they might be able to run the ball pretty well, and if they can do that, that's one more thing that we know Florida will be able to do against Michigan. Um, yeah. But I'm really, I'm also very curious about Michigan's defense because it was just dynamite the last two years right out of the gates. It really kind of remained mostly dynamite last year. A couple of years ago, they got slowed down by injury. But, uh, you know, they, they replaced just a hilarious amount. You know, top three on the line, uh, linebacker Ben Gideon. The, if you include Jabril Peppers as a defensive back, which, uh, you know, he was a, a DB slash linebacker, but you lose your top – you replace either your top four or five in the secondary. Uh, and meanwhile, I still I, – I said this in the preview to a certain degree. I think – Florida suspending those guys might be like a blessing in disguise, but it's because it's going to force them to get some sec- uh, sophomore receivers involved. And I think the sophomore receivers could be awesome. Um, they're Tyree Cleveland, Josh Hammond, Freddie Swain. Um, even if it means they get slowed down by Michigan, uh, those reps might end up paying off for Florida down the line. The biggest, I'm, I'm infinitely more concerned about Florida's quarterback situation than I am the suspension. So I was about to say, I way. guess, if I'm if I'm waxing if I'm waxing nostalgic for what would a Jared Evans Virginia Tech team look like going into West Virginia, what would a Will Greer Florida team look like? Right. Going into this game? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's uh, we're, it's a really weird situation for, for situation for Jim McElwain right now, and that you know he has a better record after two years than like anybody ever in the in, aside from Steve Spurrier, a better SEC record after two years, um, but most of those wins were against bad teams and they they get blown mm-hmm. out by Alabama. You know, they, they don't have a marquee win to speak of. Um, and I, this would sort of count at least, I think Michigan still got, absolutely got top 10 uh, potential. So if they win the game, it means something. Um, but it's just so hard to, to, to get a read for how he's doing as a coach at this point. And the biggest reason for that is he doesn't have a quarterback and he hasn't had a quarterback. And so, yeah, I, I think as we were talking in Slack, the fact that, you know, 
Luke Del Rio is still being mentioned as like a as a front runner. Luke Del Rio averaged uh, six yards per pass last year uh, and threw you know eight interceptions and two hundred attempts, which is about twice as many as you'd like to see. Um, he doesn't really help the run game at all. He doesn't really do a whole lot for you unless you're got, unless you're running the ball well and he can go deep or something. But um, the fact that he is still neck and neck with with Franks and Malik Zaire and whatever else that is a little scary. I was I, you know the best case scenario for Florida was somebody seizing control of that job and that somebody probably not being Luke Del Rio. Brian Mann uh, at B Man Two Ends underscore twenty seventeen. What's your take on on the depth chart secrecy oh. shenanigans as of late, or has it always been this way? Um, I'm it's gonna, gotten I'm gonna, so I'm gonna, much. I'm going to put you on a time limit because I know how pissed off you get about writing those previews. But it it is not. Uh, this is not something you just didn't know about. This is. I, I feel like a fairly new development in terms of the bizarre paranoia and secrecy that goes on in college football. Just put out a basic depth chart. It doesn't really matter. If you come out and six guys are at the one that were at the two, it doesn't matter. Just just do it as a perfunctory routine I, it, rather than make it into some stupid journalistic crusade on the newspaper side or some dumb paranoia on the football coach side. It's, it's not even gamesmanship. It's just dumb. It's it's overthinking. It's what it's seventeen dimensional chess. You know that's uh, like well, if he's going to do this, then I'm going to do this, and if he does that in response, then I'll do this too. And then you just outthink yourself, and you spend more time thinking about it than you would have just putting out a damn depth chart. Um, I, yeah, I don't need it to be accurate. Like when I'm writing the previews, all I want is to make sure that I'm mentioning everybody who needs to be mentioned. And so if you want to you want to put like you know three ors at every receiver position and two ors at running back I don't really care I just want to make sure I know what names I need to be uh, mentioning and paying attention to and I understand who might actually see the field this year and it's it's just embarrassing that that, that they're going to these great paranoid links at this point because we could probably we can ha- we can take an educated guess like Michigan or Florida not putting one out for Michigan Michigan still kind of has a good idea who their good players are and and so I understand that you're going to that Michigan coaches would absolutely look at the depth chart because you you seize every piece of information possible but they're not going to the it it's just such it's just crappy let's let's just like 3 years ago there were infinitely more there was just infinitely more availability and accessibility than there were now like so like the teams 3 years ago didn't suck a lot of teams won games being completely open with the media um, and, but it's really is like, if one coach does it, everybody else is like, well, I guess I have to do that too now. And everybody overthinks. Very, it's, it's embarrassing. It's very, very unnecessary. I, I get it. Like, right. It's a high pressure job. Like I get it, Look, but geez. to hell with this, to hell with this. Let's talk about two forty five central time. God's time zone. ESPNU, not necessarily God's network. The Troy Trojans and the Boise State Broncos. Bill, is this, this, is, this is the PAPN game of the week. You went That's up right. to Boise over the summer. I went to Troy a couple weeks ago. I have a story up on Neil Brown and the Troy Trojans. It's going to hit Friday, so please click on that. This is a really good football game. It's Not only that, it's going to be really fun, too. And this isn't just our cliche PAPN mid-major thing. If you want to put this game side by side with Florida, Michigan, on a pure entertainment level, it will it will win uh, in oh God. every category. It'll aside be a- from the aside from the names and the colors of the uniforms and the logos, and helmets. That's it. That is it. This is going to be a fantastic game. This is the game that I wish 
was on Thursday night or Friday night or something or Sunday, whatever. It's totally buried. That sucks for both programs. I went down to Troy. Neil Brown is going to be a huge Power 5 candidate. And you know what? If the market is soft this year and there's not a lot of turnover, he's got it clicking enough to where he'll be fine. He can wait it out. And those guys, they have turned Troy back into what you're supposed to do with a a small college and a highly talented area in college football. That's the shortest version of it. It's not necessarily like he's an air raid guy. He comes off of the tree of, you know, mummy and leech and was an, I know he was an OC. He's had weird OC stints, but I think his success at Troy sort of uh, argues back against that and that he was the OC at Kentucky when things were a total mess. And then he was Tommy Tuberville's air raid OC at Texas Tech. Tommy of the two back, your, you know, old Ronnie Brown Cadillac Williams days. A very strange time indeed. But this guy is a great coach. This guy is probably the, the coach that doesn't get as much attention this year in the cycle. But uh, the program is ready. They're fun. Um, that offense is going to – I mean, it, Boise still has issues on defense. This this could be possibly the highest scoring game of the day as well. What's funny is that last year Troy was actually better on defense. They they still had a room That's to crazy. grow on offense, um, just you know from a consistency standpoint. Uh, but they've added. I mean, they've got Jordan Chun at running back. He he's very very steady. He, he gives a nice. He could be he could stand to be more efficient, but he um, brings a nice power aspect to the 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 spread the spread the ball sideline to sideline kind of approach. Lots and lots of seniors on this offense, which is kind of. I mean. You said like he's he's fine if he stays another year if it doesn't work out this year. I he I, he he might want to go this year because there might be a setback next year. But um, Troy's an they interesting. Turn of, they Tro- did turn a lot over next year. So yeah, but Troy's uh, their offense is very senior heavy and will be very solid. Their defense does have to rebuild a little bit, and that could be a very big problem because Boise State's offense. Well, I really like Boise State's offense. Brett Rippon, um, he well, I was mentioning whatever six yards per pass attempt. He was at eight point six yards per pass attempt. Um, big play offense, very big play offense. I really like Cedric Wilson, who had eleven hundred yards receiving on only fifty six catches last year. He was the big play guy. They need to you know figure out a couple more possession options. But I like I think I like Alexander Madison at running back. He's a little banged up at the moment. Um, but I, I like the Boise offense a lot. I, I always like the Boise defense to a certain degree. And so it's going to be a really, really nice test for both sides. So, um, yeah, from a pure entertainment standpoint, just, I mean, record the Florida-Michigan game and fast forward to the fourth quarter. Um, just watch as much as Florida you Michigan can. Florida-Michigan will benefit from one of those condensed replay things that you catch the next day. Right, yeah. That, that's really where you need to go with that. I went out. I was at, The last time I was at Boise was last spring, so Rippon's real first look in college. He was very much number four on a depth chart that didn't really have any cohesion at quarterback. And I just remember watching all four guys standing around at, at the spring practice, and they were they were throwing, you know, what a what a oh, I, I can't say a fade because they were throwing them into trash cans, so the trajectory was different. They were throwing like post routes from thirty yards out into trash cans, and the number four guy Rippin, who very much looked like a high school kid because he's not as big, was just roping them. It was unbelievable. I'm really excited. I think this this guy could end up being one of those guys that like all of college football figures out in October and falls in love with. And really, I mean, there's no excuse for them to not have already noticed it. But well, I guess Boise's. I mean, <laughs> it's it's Boise's own fault because they keep losing to Air Force and therefore losing the uh, the division. But um, 
No, they, I mean, there's he, he was their first. He, they haven't had a bad quarterback in forever, but he's their first really highly touted one. He was a four-star guy, uh, and thus far he has lived up to that um, to that reputation. So it should be really, really nice game to watch and, and a nice telling game. Temple-Notre Dame, if we're talking about that time slot, you want to talk about curiosity. Yes, um, could be terrible. Could be, yeah, it might might be unwatchable, but I, I you know, I'm and I'm not gonna try to convince you. Like, you know, everybody knows at this point what my numbers say about Notre Dame, and if you want to doubt it, you, they gave you plenty of reason to doubt it last year. Uh, but if that that Memphis style kind of more vertical attack starts to go on def- on offense, where you've got uh, you know Brandon Wimbush or whoever throwing to St. Brown and and CJ saying well Sanders is more of a possession guy I guess, but um, they they they've never lacked for athletic receivers, and so they that could be a, suddenly a very very fun Notre Dame offense if such a thing can exist. Um, and then on defense, you know, I, I'm curious about the – they have to replace a couple of really nice guys up front, but we'll still – like Elko, nobody really doubted the Elko hire, and um, and he's, their defense should be really good. This could be – if things do click, it should be a good Notre Dame team. It should also be a strangely fun Notre Dame team, and that uh, – t- talk about morbid curiosity there. All right. Um, how much time do we want to give to what we think might be an upset in Lubbock? It's going to be we'll, – we'll just touch on this. Eastern Washington is a really good FCS team. We did the rankings last week. They're up there. Um, it's a shame this isn't being played on the blood-red field. Um, Texas Tech. Yeah, it's Texas Tech. Yeah, I can't it's even there. pretend to be worried. They lost Mahomes. They lost uh, Jonathan Giles to transfer. Like they, I can't even pretend to be worried about their offense. But the Eastern Washington has proven time and again they don't mind getting into a shootout. And in a shootout against Texas Tech – you have a very good shot of winning. I mean, so. at this point, when you stop looking at the fact that one program's in the FCS, where where are you giving Texas Tech the advantage here? That's what I'm asking. Like, this is a Eastern. This isn't a physicality game. This is a finesse game. Eastern Washington is fully capable of creating the same kind of space that Texas Tech is on offense. This could very, very easily end up a, a win for our blood red Eagle fan. Yep. Kentucky Southern Miss. This was a sleeper game last year. Southern Miss beat. I think. It, Mark Stoops has a big buyout, but if Southern Miss wins this game again, um, uh, probably, I know nah, I'm not going to watch up there. I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to go there because he does have a very big buyout. And, um, I mean, I just last year, like the, the Southern Miss game was a complete and total, it, it throw you off the scent game last year. They built a huge lead. They fell apart. Uh, and then like a month later they were awesome. So, no, it's going to take more than just this game. Um, let, let's let me glance at Kentucky's schedule real quick, and I'll tell you when uh, to start. Well, while you do that, I'm going to briefly touch on the fact that I will I will check the score on Western Michigan USC, but I don't think I'm going to derive anything on on Ooh. how it's going to be hard to calibrate USC the same way it was hard to calibrate Stanford. And I, Western Michigan's a better program than Rice, but it just for the way that that game is going to be played in two weeks, or is it next week? I think it's next week. Um, oh, uh, Stanford, yeah, next week. Yeah, it, it just it, it's going to be hard to glean anything from that game. Um, but, you know, maybe if P.J. was still there, it could be interesting. Um, <laughs> so right. Kentucky schedule, at Southern Miss, then Eastern Kentucky, and at South Carolina. If they lose to Southern Miss and South Carolina and they struggle against Eastern Kentucky, 
um, then we can talk. Or if they beat Eastern Kentucky, but then they get thumped by Florida in week four. Yeah, we won't have to wait long to find out about Kentucky. Let's put it that way. And they have a, they and South Carolina both have really just kind of strange, like big early season uh, runs here. And um, a lot of yeah, time to get that buyout money season. ready. Attention East Kentucky. Um, all right, let's jump into the evening. We'll start uh, at 515 Central, App State at Georgia. Central Arkansas goes to K-State. Liberty at Baylor. Gross. Uh, SEMO at Kansas. Uh, <laughs> Georgia Southern at Auburn. Yikes. Uh, Louisville-Purdue. That's, an, that's a neutral site game in Indianapolis. Um, it is happening. It's probably the least talked about neutral site game in the entire opening slate. South Alabama Don goes to Fox. Ole Miss. Yes. Uh, South, yeah, that's probably why, because ESPN just does a better job marketing that stuff. South Alabama at Ole Miss, um, and then we get into the big dogs. Uh, Alabama, Florida State, and Atlanta at the new Falcon Stadium. Arkansas State, Nebraska, maybe. Uh, TCU hosts Jackson State. Iowa State hosts Northern Iowa. Uh, Vanderbilt is going to Middle uh, Middle Tennessee, which, by the way, in case you're curious, is like 25 miles, so it's not really a road game. Uh, Neither team has fans anyway. Oregon opens the Willie Taggart era against Southern Utah. BYU, LSU, same time, 8.30 ESPN. It's just going to be played in the Superdome rather than NRG Stadium after everything that's happened in Houston. Wazoo, Montana State is their week one opponent. Always fun to watch Wazoo against an FCS opponent in week one. (laughs) And then the last game of the day is Arizona and Northern Arizona. So let's just get it over with. Uh, Tom Stevenson at TC Stevenson 1. Which team losing by multiple touchdowns would be better for Schadenfreude purposes, Alabama or Florida State? Has to be Bama, right? Well, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Florida State got rocked just last year by Louisville early in the year. So this would be uh, Alabama fans haven't had to deal with that in a long, long time. So, yeah, it has to be Alabama. The only, I guess the only caveat is that Alabama's schedule is set up in a way that they can lose this game and still never exit the national title conversation. Right, but just the pure them losing by double digits. We're talking about, so when our buddy Tom says multiple touchdowns, I'm thinking 21 points. Oh, okay, I was thinking like 14 to 17. I don't think think losing by 14 points is, is, like I don't think it's a hang your head. I mean, I'm sure it will be on the Bama boards, but like I don't think it's a hang your head and shame moment. These are really good teams. Um I think if you break tw- if you break twenty, I think it's a serious deal. Um, I could totally take that back if the style of play ends up being one thing, or if there's a comeback, or I don't know something like that. Um, what do we say about this football game? It's very hard for me to talk about it. I have I, I talked about this on last week's show. I have a bad habit of talking about things with in the moment the actual football game itself i'm always looking at the context of is a coach going to get fired what is this going to do for a program raising money, all that stuff long term in both directions as a football game i think this will be entertaining and i think it will be close and so i guess i have to apply our own rule here bill and just don't worry about the names and and the logos i mean we were talking about this at work with bud elliott our recruiting guy and I mean, you could see it. We were trying to figure out if it was possible to see 22 five-stars on the field at the same time. Bud <laughs> said it's not because of a couple of key positions, but it's damn near going to be close. Yeah, this is as close as you're going to come other than if Ohio State's involved instead of Florida State, yeah. I guess I'm, I guess I'm interested in Hurts. I guess I am. Yeah, no, I mean, this is uh, – when I, I wrote a quick preview on this game – well, quick by my standards, like 1,200 words uh, – on on this game on Monday – 
Um, and the, to me, it all comes down to the the forward pass is the way I put it. You know, number one, how good is Francois at throwing the forward pass? And then number two, how frequently does Hertz have to throw the, the forward pass? Because, um, you know, last year they did just a magnificent job of bringing him along and not putting him in many tough situations. Get like lots of rushing because they had the backfield to run and run and run and run, obviously in the offensive line, uh, and then lots of horizontal and behind the line of scrimmage passing. Like Alabama, strangely, it it wasn't like you know uh, an air raid team. It wasn't a you know, just any sort of pass happy team that threw the highest percentage of, of passes behind the line of scrimmage. It was Alabama. And, um, and it worked, you know, they were able to spread the team, uh, spread defenses from sideline to sideline, strain them as much as possible and then run over them. But they didn't get away with that against Clemson for very long. And they probably won't get away with that against Florida state for very long. And if they're in second and nine or third and eight, and he has to pass into the teeth of the Florida state secondary with a relatively, um, well, with the receiving court in flock, yeah. uh, that could be bad for Alabama. That could be really bad for Alabama. So um, Francois is going to try to pass, and if he's not facing pressure, if he's uh, able to you know, get Murray and a couple of other guys hit, hit him deep at least once or twice, then Florida State could be in pretty good shape, and their run game will, probably won't be great, but it might be good enough. Alabama just has to be able to stay on standard downs and avoid the, the passing downs altogether, I think. I, I hate to use the Heisman in conversation in any way, shape, or form, but Ugh. just just as a yardstick, because it's just the context that's created, the winning team's quarterback is going to have probably the best bullet point resume for that award this year for a while, as long as they don't win in, in a super, super ugly fashion. I mean, as long if you're looking at like a 3TD, 1INT performance against either team, it's going to be the statement as far as the media is concerned on who looks the best early, but just because of the level of competition. Oh, yeah. If you, if Francois, that, especially. I, well, I guess as I was about to say is I do think that Francois probably has a higher ceiling on potential here in, in terms of like making a statement, whatever that might mean. Like if you throw for three touchdowns against Alabama in the opening game, I think that's going to be a bigger deal. And if Hertz is sort of in that multi-tool capacity, also Alabama always seems to have a bad habit of, of like – muting out individual performances of players. I don't mean that from a PR perspective, like the team or the program itself. It's just we just sort of look at Alabama as like one bowling ball of death and not necessarily <laughs> like it's it's very hard. Like Cooper and Julio Jones, but really not even Julio. We, we, look, we look at the Julio now in the NFL and think of him differently in college. Maybe Ingram a little bit. It's just it's hard to differentiate Alabama performances, but that's what happens when you're you know five star after five star. So right, and this might be their best backfield. As crazy as that that's sounds, insane. Um, that's also because I mean Damian depressing. Harris, D- Damian Harris wasn't all that great in the postseason, but he he carried the load and still averaged seven yards per carry for the year, which you know for not all that great is pretty dang good. Then you everybody knew, got to know Bo Scarborough. He he wasn't even he wasn't even good last year until the last month of the season. Uh, but if he's full speed and Harris is ready to go, Josh Jacobs, I know, has been shaken off a, a hamstring injury, but he's kind of the perfect uh, change-up back. Um, he's also their second-leading returning receiver. Uh, so he, like you add the, you put those three together, you can do a lot of uh, – a, a big variety of things. And then, of course, you know, five-star uh, freshman Najee Harris uh, and either of a couple of other four-star running backs. It's, it's ridiculous what they've got. Plus, by the way, they signed uh, like – three or four blue chip, like hardcore blue chip, highly ranking uh, blue chip receivers. Um, and so the, the 
the thing with the passing in this year is going to be you've got a kind of this layer of upperclassmen who have been around forever and have have done okay, the Calvin Ridleys and the Cam Sims, and uh, maybe you throw Robert Foster in there. Uh, you've got those guys who will start off the year as starters, but you've got Jerry Judy and Devonta Smith and uh, Henry Ruggs III coming up very, very quickly. And so, you know, that'll be an interesting kind of give and take as the year goes on. And the way that you institute quick change there is to get down early and to start rotating out that talent at the position. Yep. And then if one of those younger guys starts to incite some sort of spark, if you're down and coming yep. back, the conversation will turn very, very quickly and everyone will be totally fine with that youth movement. Um, except yep. the old guys. I guess Louisville-Purdue is sort of the sleeper here. I feel like we've already talked a lot about BYU-LSU on other shows, but um, kind of same rules apply talking about Stanford. Like, I don't think I learned anything about BYU uh, last week. I didn't watch it. I just kind of glanced at it, glanced at the box score. Yeah, their it's, offense it was bad, and they were trying not to show too much on offense with yes, LSU. That's why. So. That's what I was going to touch on. I don't think it had anything to do with Portland State and everything to do with the fact that they were playing a game before the big game where you want to come out and surprise the more talented opponent. So it was borderline glorified scrimmage. Um, yeah, LSU, I think we, st- we still learned a little something about BYU, though. The base plays should have worked better than they did. Okay, I'll take that. Uh, LSU is LSU. We talked about it in nauseam. I've obviously been down there a lot in the offseason. Uh, I'm super, super excited to watch their offense to the point where I don't know if there is a sleeper game for me necessarily in the evening slate. I will be very interested, obviously, in Louisville and Purdue, mainly because Brom is awesome. Please don't judge Brom by his first game as at Purdue right now. Like that system's not going to look like what it's supposed to. What it looked like at Western Kentucky, but like you know, Louisville's going to be really fun this year. I hate to yeah, say, Louisville. It. Louisville will probably look a heck of a lot like last year's Louisville did, good and bad. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, you've got you've got. Um, uh, you're going to be installing a new passing uh, system at Purdue with a potentially decent quarterback in, in David Blau, who I'll, whose name I will try to start pronouncing correctly instead of Blah. Um, but then they they have they lose their top four wide receivers from last year. Uh, not that any of them was amazing. Well, actually, D'Angelo D'Angelo Yancey was quite good. The others were whatever. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of hard to really install a nice passing game if you don't have receivers to throw to. So uh, lots of breaking in period there. And and honestly, I have no problem if this is the case because Missouri plays Purdue in a few weeks, and I don't want them to be good. So I'm so uh, they're allowed. They're free to be good after that. I'm so down on Georgia Southern. The Auburn game is actually a little interesting in that, like. Georgia Southern's entire team strength might be in the secondary, so people want to try and prop that up with Stidham. But if Southern sputters again on offense like they did several, several times last year, and they've got a new OC, new O-line coach, if they do that, this thing could get bloody fast, and Auburn will come out of a game that people, not people like us, people us specifically, used to always characterize, oh, you got to play Georgia Southern, and it's going to be brutal. Like It's going to end up being a more of a merit game than it probably should be. And, and I think that... If Southern is is bad early, and Auburn can move quickly, which I think they can, this thing's gonna be a bloodbath, and then we're gonna start talking about Auburn in inflated terms, at least for September. Well, I've already begun talking about Auburn in inflated terms, so I'll just be welcoming people to the bandwagon. Um, I'm S&P fine. Projects- way, I'm fine with that. We need the variety in the in the SEC. <laughs> uh, P the S and P plus projection on that game is Auburn forty three, Georgia Southern ten. Jesus. Okay. It got it got it got dark fast for Georgia Southern. In it, no, I just it doesn't yeah. rebound. It can still rebound. Second year effects, you know. First year, first time head coaches struggle sometimes. So maybe he figures things out, uh, and and everything's fine this year. But yeah, now they've got so much more to prove than they have the last couple of years. Tyson Summers is on the hot seat. 
I don't care what anybody says. I know that program really well. They're not happy. Uh, well, let's run through Sunday and Monday real fast, okay? Uh, there's three football games. I'll throw in the SES game. Uh, South Carolina State at Southern, Texas A&M at UCLA, Virginia Tech, West Virginia, and D.C. on Sunday. We talked. We already talked about the Appalachian Bowl, Black Coal Bowl, whatever the hell it's called. Then Monday night in the Falcon Stadium, Georgia Tech and Tennessee. Ha. Huh. VTech West Virginia better game than than Georgia Tech Tennessee. Highly unpredictable game Georgia Tech and Tennessee. Highly unpredictable. Yeah, and I, we I mean we've already talked about it to a certain degree. I mean the anxiety involved in, in in Tennessee losing that game will be pretty spectacular. I'm just annoyed because we got two games on Sunday and they're at the same damn time. Really, like you can't put A and M UCLA on it. Like you know, do you want the answer for that or do you just want to be mad? I'm I'm mad I just too. Want to be mad. Okay. I mean it's it's prime time and I kind of assume larger viewer pool, I, lar- larger viewer pool to draw from. I'm actually super happy because. Uh, my older son's birthday is actually not the third, it's the fifth, but we're celebrating it on Sunday. Um, so I will get away with probably getting to get back by 6.30 to watch both these games. So I'm happy. Okay. I feel good about it. Um, yeah, so I don't want to shortchange Georgia Tech-Tennessee. It's not the marquee game. They probably thought it would, well, I don't know about that. Yeah, well, I don't think maybe it got booked it. that one year. I think it might actually have been signed or announced the year that Georgia Tech was After their Orange Bowl, Bowl, yeah. Yeah, against Mississippi State. And then... I mean, yeah, I think that's three or four years ago. You might have thought the Vols would be at a slightly, a slightly steeper trajectory upward. But um, anxiety game for Butch Jones. I think it's a massive anxiety game. They get through yep. this, life is going to be great for them. I really do feel like they are going to be the team that you are going to question yourself for having doubted his tenure. Now, next year, I don't know. They win the division? I don't know. I just don't think that if they, if they can win this game, I don't think that they're the team that – is going to fall apart the way everyone's predicting. When you put together those really stupid hot seat stories early in the season, and you don't look at things like, well, what's the, where's the AD in this, and where's the, where are the boosters in this, and the money in the athletic department, he's probably safer. He's almost certainly safer than you think he is at that program. I'm just telling you. Yeah, um, and and that's good. Like if he would never open his mouth and give like champions of life quotes and whatnot, like they've had some disappointments over the last couple of years. They've still been on the right trajectory. Yeah. Um, it's just those results don't really speak for themselves because of the disappointing losses and because he says things like champions of life. Well, here's the other thing too. Georgia Tech. What's up with them running backs? Yeah, um, I used to think it's that the, the B-backs most... in that system don't really matter all that much because it's it's about the quarterback running the show. Yeah, uh, this I, has, I to, learned this has that... to be the least amount of returning. Um, isn't it the least amount of returning carries or touches in in a Georgia Tech backfield since they went triple option? And they're decimated, right? Yeah, I mean they lose Mills and Marshall both, so the 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 fullback position there will be pretty. Uh, pretty young. They still got Quay Searcy and Clinton Lynch and JJ Green on the outside, uh, the, the for the kind of the slot back type position there. So they might be okay in that regard. We might be overstating uh, their inexperience, but regardless, they have those new guys uh, at fullback, and then they don't have Justin Thomas as well. So it is going to be a, a lot of new pieces out there for for Georgia Tech, and and that's a, a well, quite obviously a scary situation sometimes. Tennessee quarterback issue. We don't know who. Dormady. Uh, I should know this since I live in the state. Guartano. I think I've, I think that's the proper radio butchering of that name. Um, I mean, it, I can't sell anyone as saying it's a sleeper game to watch because it's the only one that's like right on Monday night. Give it a quarter. Give it a quarter. How about that? 
I think Bob Shoop. Real quick, I think Bob Shoop is knows enough has has enough capacity with the talent on defense where they don't get gashed early by that triple option. But that's not how smart coordinators and talented teams are beaten by Georgia Tech. It's it's just getting getting kind of thumped by the hammer where it doesn't hurt the first time, but the the eighty fifth time late in the game right. is when they really get you. So maybe they may, they, maybe do they, this. They're going to be without Darian Kirkland. They're going to be without Darian Kirkland on the linebacker. They might be without Shy Tuttle uh, on the line. All right, we'll uh, do this then. Watch the first quarter. Catch up on your Netflix and watch the fourth quarter. I feel good go. about that. All right, real quickly with our remaining time, uh, you've got a radio gig here in a few minutes, but. Let's run through as many of these questions as we can in like 30 seconds or less. Number one, uh, at Badger Dave says, how many more linebackers can the Badgers afford to lose? Uh, yeah, so they've lost uh, Sitchi again. They lost what I think was supposed to be a backup. Um, and But so now I think they're in a situation where they are still stable in the starting lineup, but if they lose anybody else, uh, then they'll be dipping into the into the, the pool of freshmen or walk-ons or whatnot pretty quickly. So, yeah, my, recommendations is, my recommendation is nobody else get hurt. Uh, interesting question here from Adam Henderson, uh, Adam, at Adam ATVS, which is in the Valley Shook. By the way, it gets answered by one of his coworkers in the Valley Shook. Why does New Orleans host more neutral site games? It's as close to midway between Texas and Florida schools as you can really get. And then Podcat, our buddy over at Anna Valley Shook, says, same reason NOLA hotels were already booked up to 80% this weekend before the move was announced. Southern decadence is always Labor Day weekend. Yes and no to both. <laughs> um, it's I've talked to people about this before that are involved in the tourism industry down there. And the, um, what is it called? It's the City Tourism Council. I can't, it doesn't matter. It's something, something in conjunction with the Chamber of Commerce in New Orleans. But... Uh, because New Orleans is almost always in the running for the college football playoff uh, the, with the Sugar Bowl, and then also because they bid on, very aggressively bid on the, the national championship game, um, it's a little bit of a concern for fatigue and that you want to pick the right schools who don't end up back there at the end of the year because they protect those interests pretty strong. They don't want fan apathy and ticket sales. So I remember the year that Florida played Louisville, it was sort of a big deal that Florida didn't buy tickets. New Orleans does not like that. Um, so that's the short answer. However, I personally think if you book it right and you get the right teams who wouldn't necessarily end up there that or that January, I think you could do a neutral site game there. Nashville's trying to do the exact same thing right now and attract teams that wouldn't necessarily come to the Music City Bowl in December. So Okay. Uh, Big Fish Theory at Nico Gervasoni says, most likely to happen, just Mora fired, just Sumlin fired, both fired, or neither fired. Uh, I say mm. by, by just a small margin, the most likely is just Mora fired, uh, followed by both, followed by Sumlin, followed by neither. Hmm. I'm going to go neither as the most likely. Okay. But I all but but followed close behind by Mora. I think the buyout is a, I think the buyout is a, is a pardon the terrible pun a Trojan horse. I think I think he's got more security because of the big buyout that they have at UCLA. I think with when you put Chip Kelly in the market like that, it changes the dynamic. And I think LA is becoming more and more serious about football, as evidenced by two NFL teams coming in a new stadium coming up. I think the time is now. Mora had all the time all the time in the world to get that program straight while USC floundered and he didn't do it. Right. So I think they can find the money to do it. They've got some deep pockets up there in the Hollywood Hills, their alumni. Uh, yeah. So. 
at Yoski2319 asks, is college football back to the 1970s where there are just a few teams that can win the title each year, just the Blue Bloods can win? Uh, that wasn't the problem with the 70s. The problem with the 70s is that only the Blue Bloods could be good. Uh, Oklahoma, Alabama, uh, Nebraska, Texas, uh, Ohio State, Michigan were basically in the top, and Penn State were basically in the top 10 every single yep. year. There's more, fluctu- there's more fluctuation these days outside of Alabama and to, to a certain degree now, Ohio State and Florida State. Uh, but the other part of the, my answer here is that, A, Clemson probably wouldn't have been considered a blue blood five years ago. Or they're, they're kind of borderline. You know, they had the fan support but not the results. Uh, and they just won a national title. Oregon was by no means a blue blood until, uh, if they are at all, it's happened in the last five years. And they've been, they went to the national, game, the national title game twice this decade and, you know, came within a Michael Dyer hand of potentially winning once. So I, I still say there is more upward mobility now than there was, or at least there's more fluctuation now than there was. But, uh, I mean, blue bloods will always have the best odds in college football. Totally agree with that. I don't necessarily have anything to rebuke on that. Um, Bill, we are not going to be back Sunday. We'll be back next Sunday. Just want to clarify that again. We're going to be starting the Sunday show at the end of week two. Everybody cool on that? We got yes. that? So Bill's at... The idea there is the idea there is that the, the whole point is to update the S&P Plus rankings and talk about the movement. There won't be any updates to S&P Plus until after Monday night. All right, Bill. Happy week one. We made it. I'm going to try and love football again this That's weekend. Right. I fear, I fear our good microphones made us sound muted and calm. I really hope. Well, that's not I didn't the case. scream or sing this week too, though. But I've had a cold and I'm very busy, so that that's you know that's my excuse. I'll scream and sing next week. I promise. Awesome. <laughs>